0: December 7th, 1941. A day that will live in infamy. It's a quote from the speech given by President Franklin Delano Roosevelt the day after the Pearl Harbor attacks on December 7th, Sunday morning. Japanese fleets sailing all the way from Japan to right outside Oahu launched an attack on the military installation really that housed the Pacific Fleet, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. 4,500 sailors were stationed there, stationed at Pearl Harbor. And in that season, the United States yet to be in war, when you were moved to Pearl Harbor, even though the Pacific Fleet had been moved by the president from the California coast to Pearl Harbor, with which really was a daring move to try to advance against a potential onslaught or potential attack from the Japanese. When they were stationed there, it felt a little bit like a holiday. The United States was not at war yet. There was a lot of partying, a lot of going out to the beach, a lot of fun. But They had no idea that for... A good long while the Japanese had been preparing. As a matter of fact, that, that day, December 7th, 1941, the Japanese attack fleet that descended on Pearl Harbor was massive. 35 subs, 11 destroyers, two battleships, four aircraft carriers, and 353 aircraft. Fighters, dive bombers, torpedoes, or torpedo planes. They'd made a... 3,500 mile journey from Japan. The, the, literally, the, the attack fleet took up four square miles. That's how big it was. It was massive. And they staged for the attack about 200 miles off the coast of Hawaii's island of Oahu. The Japanese had trained for over a year. This is dive bombers practicing the art of just going in about an 80 degree dive. The hood of the plane opened, wind roaring through, just to get a descent and drop a bomb on a target. Torpedo planes maximizing the craft of dropping in low and dropping a torpedo. Working out literally the details down to the smallest. Trained for a year, prepped literally for months. The reason that The United States staged its Pacific fleet in Pearl Harbor. the, uh, The harbor was so shallow, they didn't believe that it could be attacked by torpedoes. They believed that if a torpedo was dropped into the harbor, it would hit the bottom and it would explode. But as the Japanese trained, they developed and fashioned torpedoes that could actually work in shallow conditions. And the travel just simply from where they were to where they were going would take weeks. December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy. But December 6th is the day I want you to think about. On December 6th, nobody at Pearl Harbor knew that they were a target, nobody. Although they had every Sign to point that they were. All the signs showed that a war was coming. The Japanese embassy in Washington, D.C. had destroyed all their documents and moved out. On December the 6th, a communication was sent throughout their network the United States network we're intercepting communications that lead us to believe that we are in an imminent threat of attack and pearl harbor listed the morning of december the 7th united states sinks an attack sub right outside of the harbor Early warning radar, which is still in its infancy, detects a fleet of airplanes. All of that dismissed. But as the bombs began to descend on the battleships that were still docked in Pearl Harbor, 4,500 Marines and sailors woke up to see something in its reality that they could not see just days before. I am praying that over the next few weeks, you wake up and see the reality that you are living in. Because just like the sailors on December the 6th who were under attack but just didn't know it yet. Literally years of planning, months of preparation, weeks of travel, they're about to be bombarded. But they have no clue. War has already been declared against you. It has already been declared against you. I wrote this as I was thinking about This moment, what I want you to wake up to see, that every moment of every day, there are dark forces plotting, preparing, and perpetrating evil to steal, kill, and destroy. Every good gift God wants to give you. War has already been declared, and there are far too many of us that are living like December the 6th, just partying, having fun, and it's grand. It's like a vacation. But at the same time, the enemy has declared war. It's imminent. It's even here, and you can't see it. All the signs point to it. Jesus, John 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the fullest, which for us here at our church reminds us, okay? Okay. That authentic life is only found in Jesus. We're not going to find it in the things that we think we're going to find it in this world. It's only found in Jesus. But the thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy, this seems familiar. If you've read the beginning of the Bible, you know how the story goes. Genesis 1, God makes the, the cosmos. Everything that we know is created as God orders and perpetuates all of creation. Genesis 2 is a a zoom in on the creation of man. God creates Adam, gives him a job, gives him a home, and then crafts for him out of the first problem and all creativity, he's alone. So he crafts a wife, and they have everything they need, and they have one rule, right? Genesis 3 begins... In verse one, now the serpent was more crafty than all the other animals. The thief, the serpent. And what happens? The serpent deceives Eve. God God gave you one rule, do not eat from this tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did God say you shouldn't eat from that tree? Oh, the reason he said that is because if you eat from that tree, you'll be like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. The first deception is for control. If you eat from that, you will be like God. You will now get to decide for yourself what is good and bad. Sin enters the world and breaks everything. Upending God's good creation and some of us think, I wish I just had that deal, one rule, I could do that. The narrative of the Old Testament shows us one rule, 10 rules, and then 260 plus rules. We go from the garden to the 10 commandments to the law. And the Bible tells us in Romans that the law was given not to make us right, but to prove that we're wrong. And you can go all the way back to the one rule in the garden. deceived. I want control. And Adam and Eve were close to God. I mean, literally every afternoon, God shows up and goes on a walk. Some of us love it. When we get to go on a walk with our spouse or our kids, we just feel close. It's intimate. It's conversational. Every afternoon, God showed up to go on a walk with Adam and Eve, and then God shows up that day, and they're not there. So we're going to pick up the story there. The Lord God called to the man, where are you? This is the very first question that God asks man where are you you're supposed to be here this is where you normally are where are you because there's a reason you're not here and the reason you're not here is not good where are you and Adam answered I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid this is the first time in human history that fear altered the course of a decision. Why is Adam afraid? Because when God said, don't eat from that tree, you know what he said? You're gonna die if you eat from that tree. He's afraid. He's afraid. Now notice what God says here in verse 10 and 11. And he, God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree I commanded you to not eat from? Who told you that? Who told you that? In other words, what he's saying is, listen, you are living in a reality, and somebody has spoken to you and shifted your perspective on that reality. Who told you that? And some of us need to take a step back because we have things going on in our head. You're a loser. It's never going to get better. Your marriage is always going to be difficult. You're, ne- you're never going to be healed. You have that stuff going on. Who told you that? The thief, the serpent, the devil, Satan. It doesn't always look the same. Sometimes it's like Eve tempted to disobey. God has highlighted his will for our life, and we look into the heart of God, and we say, I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to do it my way. We're just like Eve. All I want is control. When the invitation of the gospel is just simply to surrender, we want control. Sometimes it's like Adam. We believe a lie. We buy into a different perspective of our reality. Who told you that? For every person in this room, war has already been declared against you. War has already been declared against you. Will you fight back? It's important to think about what we're up against. Last week, as we opened and previewed this series, I I quoted Ephesians 6 out of Eugene Peterson's message paraphrase, beginning in verse 13. We're going to look at Ephesians 6 today, which is one of the most preeminent passages in the New Testament on this unseen war. It says this: be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. Take all the help you can get. Every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. When we think about what we're up against, notice that this verse says to be prepared. Because the sad reality for many of us is that when it comes to spiritual war, we're not prepared. Not, Not only are we oblivious like the soldiers on December the 6th stationed at Pearl Harbor, Under attack, war declared, forces surmounting. But for many of us, we don't even know how to fight back. So when we think about this, like, what are we really up against? Number one, we're up against more than we can handle on our own. Did you notice? We're we're up against something that's bigger than me. And the sad truth is that for many of us in our lives, we actually encounter things and encounter things and encounter things. We go through problems and problems that we can actually solve. Which sets you up for failure because there are gonna be things that come about in your life that you can't fix. The problem is bigger than you. Did you notice that? We're up against more than we can handle on our own. So if we're up against more than we can handle on our own, that that we're literally facing something that's bigger than me, the solution has to be bigger than me. Y'all hear this. I've said this in so many different ways this year. You'll never live the way of Jesus doing things on your own. The promises of God are deeply connected to following Jesus. And there's so many of us that want the affects of following Jesus without actually putting in the work to follow him. You'll never live the way of Jesus, doing things on your own. That term, the way of Jesus, was so important to the early church, they didn't even call themselves Christians. They just said, we're people who follow the way because that was the only way for them to understand living. We're up against more than we can handle on our own. So verse 10 and 11 out of Ephesians 6, what are we up against? A final word, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies. Notice this, the strategies of the devil. Be strong in the Lord. What are we up against? Number two, we are innately weak without the Holy Spirit's power within us. And for some of us, that statement is a mantra. That's a flag we wave. I'm weak, I'm not strong. But for some of us, that simple statement that you are innately weak is an affront to your ego. Who are you to tell me I'm weak? Who are you to say I'm not capable? Peter, who's one of the most preeminent forces in the emerging early church, is assaulted by the enemy when Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus predicts before this happens, you're gonna deny me. And in Matthew 26, he says this, watch and pray. Jesus speaking to Peter so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That night, the flesh of Peter showed its fear. As one of his best friends is being executed right in front of him and in fear that it would happen to him, he denies his relationship to Jesus. Please listen to what I'm about to say. As smart, disciplined, and as talented as you might be, you are still weak. You are still weak. In the body of Christ, we would say that everyone has a unique design, a unique giftedness, everybody does. But the truth is, is that everyone also has unique weaknesses that only the Holy Spirit can overcome. For you, it might be an addiction. And that might be something that you've lived with and you're growing. But it's only the Holy Spirit at work within us that overcomes that weakness. For some of us, it might be the desire to be in control. It might be lust. It might be pride. Everyone has... Unique weaknesses that only the Holy Spirit can overcome. So what are we up against? Look at verse 12. We are not fighting against human beings, but against the wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly world, the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers of this dark age. Before I give you two observations out of this verse on what we're up against, do you notice what we're not up against? We are not fighting against human beings. Sadly, far too often, we assign the label enemy to a person. And that is not accurate. The enemy is not a person. If you're struggling in your marriage and your spouse is controlling, it's not a spouse issue. That's a sin issue. That's an evil issue. And it's not a person issue. Why? Because God can deliver, God can heal, God can change. If you look around the world, and you say the world would be so much better if those people could get their act together. The problem is not those people. It is Number three, what are we up against? We have a spiritual enemy who uses spiritual forces to attack us. Do you notice earlier when we read, stand firm against the strategies of the devil. You have an enemy who has plotted against you since you were born, who knows your weaknesses, has seen the way in, and so many times, Christians, when we talk about this topic, like to make some kind of assertion about who the devil is. The devil's so stupid. Well, no, the devil's not stupid. Your enemy is calculated, strategic, and smart. And he has planned since the very beginning to steal and kill and destroy every good thing that God wants to give you. And we miss it. We missed it. We're under siege by an enemy that is spiritual. See, your enemy operates spiritually to affect present physical realities. This is not just some mystical sense of oppression. Like, this is stuff that has real consequences in our lives every day. You have a spiritual enemy. Who has spiritual forces are strategically planning to attack your life. But that's not the only thing to learn from this verse. Let's read it again. Look at this. We are not fighting against human beings, but against the wicked spiritual forces in the heavenly world, the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers of this dark age. So what are we up against? You see it right here that we're up against Worldly rulers, authorities and systems that work against God's good will. I've told you this simple notion so many times this year, because I want to rescue, I want us to be rescued from this notion that we live in heaven right now, until we're in heaven. The things that we encounter in this world have been corrupted by sin. The Bible says so clearly that we are being saved. I was rescued eternally, spiritually reborn, and now my flesh, my heart, my mind are being recreated. I'm not who I was, but I'm not who I'm going to be. The systems in this world, we say this, there's no perfect church, there's no perfect political party, there's no perfect government, there's no perfect anything. All corrupted by sin. This world is not heaven. So don't expect it to be. Don't get blown out of the water when things aren't perfect, when somebody's not perfect, when some organization doesn't handle things perfect, when some politician's not. Why? Because it's not heaven. This isn't heaven. This is an idea represented in John, 1 John 5. John is clarifying this. He says, listen, we know that we are from God. God's doing something in us. And we know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This world is corrupted. And it sounds scary, doesn't it? And perhaps that's why many of us don't want to talk about it, don't want to even put optics on this. But I want to show you something real simple that should change the way we view this. John 16, Jesus speaking, I've told you all this so that you might have peace in your hearts because of me. While you are in the world, you will have to suffer but cheer up. Cheer up, Jesus what are you talking about? You just literally told me that I'm going to suffer and I can have peace in the middle of my suffering. Why well, am going to cheer up? I don't want to suffer. Seems tone deaf, doesn't it? Until he says the next thing. But cheer up, for I have defeated the world you don't have to be afraid because Jesus has already won the war. When Jesus died on the cross, he's already paid the price for your sin, not just the sin you did or some kind of original sin. He paid the price for every mistake you're gonna make in your life. He paid the price because Jesus got it right When we choose Jesus, God imparts his righteousness. He got it right for me. God gives me his righteousness. So when Jesus comes out of the grave alive, the invitation is to eternal life right now. So much so that heaven is just an address change. That I live now in the the presence of God, and awareness of God, that I, I get to know God and encounter God, and then... Death is but a comma, not a period in the sentence of my life. Jesus has already won the war, which means, this is the good news, we get to fight this battle from victory, not for victory. The war that you're in is guaranteed victory if you're living under the authority of Jesus, following Jesus, and doing life his way. I don't have to try to win. It's already been won. But I've got to fight back. You know, often we talk about fighting back when it's our spiritual war. We talk about weapons, right? We we talk about the weapons of the war, which you see this in Ephesians 6 and throughout the series when we talk about this. But look at this verse, Ephesians 6, 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be still, you'll, you'll be standing firm. The, the armor of God. And if you grew up in church, you're familiar with this. The shoes, the shield, the helmet, the sword of the spirit, tools to fight with. But if you know anything about tools, tools have to be used in the right way. I need to use a hammer to do what a screwdriver needs to do. If I'm always trying to use a hammer as the tool, I'm gonna end up breaking things. So the question is, how? How do we fight back? And I want to make this really apparent, you cannot understand how to fight back if you don't know the enemy's battle plan against you. And in God's mercy, he literally makes it apparent. And for many of us, we've never seen this. That the enemy has a plan to attack you. Now I wanna lay a little theological framework so that you can see how this works. Orthodox Christian doctrine is that God has eternally revealed himself through three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. We call this the Trinity. God has made himself known. He's revealed himself to us as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we here at Vortex Church say God, we are referencing all three at the same time. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The triune God. Co-equal, co-eternal. The Father who establishes the plan of redemption. The Son who accomplishes it and the Holy Spirit who applies it, three parts. We are also revealed to be three-part beings, body, soul, and spirit. The soul being the ideas of the mind and the heart, this inner life. So I have a temporary flesh and body, an eternal spirit, and this echo chamber of a soul that exists in between. And what's astounding to me is that while God has revealed himself three ways, we are known to be three ways. Our enemy has a three-part plan of attack. For the next few weeks, we're gonna dismantle each one of these. And we're gonna show you how to fight back. We're gonna show you you in this area, this is how you fight back. In this area, this is how you fight back. In this area, this is how you fight back. Number one, The first part of this is our enemy attacks us from within using our flesh. Our flesh. And this is a battle that rages within us. The flesh is the body in all its desires. We are not just body, we are body, soul, and spirit. But that body is born with certain innate desires that God created good, but Satan corrupts and counterfeits. And what can happen is that those desires that are corrupted and counterfeited, lust, control, power, which actually are born out of things that are good and created by God to be applied in a holy way, When corrupted, bring destruction. Galatians 6, verse 8 says, the one who sows from his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. We need to learn to fight the flesh or we'll forfeit the life of the Spirit. to say. We sow into the spirit. We reap life. God wants you to live in that life. And we've got to learn how. Next week we're going to talk about how do we fight the flesh. I I don't want you to miss it because it's a battle all of us face. But that's only one part. Our enemy attacks from within using the flesh. Number two, our enemy attacks us from without using the powers of this world. You know, it'd be so easy to think with all the information, technology, and power that exists in the world that things would be getting better. But you don't have to look around too far and too long to figure out that they're not. Why is that? Because this world is not heaven. If we listen to 1 John 5, this world is under the influence and power of our enemy. So there are system structures that are sinful in this world. And the important thing to remember in that light is this world is not our home. Peter employed, like, live as if you're an alien. This is not home. The battle has already been won. Jesus has already overcome. As a matter of fact, Colossians 2 reflects on that and says this He, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. We must learn how to fight back against worldly powers. Or we'll give up many of the good gifts God wants to give his people. Please notice that the first one was a fight where I lose. This is a fight where we lose. And when a generation is not willing to stand up and fight, they end up forfeiting blessings for the next generation. Do not let that be said of us. So we have, on one hand, we're attacked from within by the flesh. Number two, we're attacked from without by worldly powers. And number three, we are attacked supernaturally by the enemy and his forces. Working supernaturally to affect present physical reality. Eve, if you eat from that, you'll be like God, knowing the difference from good and evil, deceived. Adam, who told you that? Who told you that you were naked? Who redefined your reality so that you would believe that that's how it is? Who told you that you were a loser? Who told you that your marriage would never get better? Who told you that your finances were always gonna be a struggle? Who told you that? Adam, who believes the lie. Satan described in the Bible as the father of lies. Job, who God uses the work of the enemy to test the faith of Job. Sickness, losing kids, losing property, all of the trials and pains that he goes through. In the meantime, God's using it to refine his faith. Peter who's tested by, you're going to deny me. I'll never do that, Jesus. The flesh is weak, Peter. And then fear gets the best of him. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter writes about the enemy, and he does so from a firsthand knowledge of what it's like to be taken out. He says, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This is true for every one of us in the room. And when it comes to our spiritual enemy, God has given us the weapons and the methods to fight back against our spiritual enemy. That'll be the fourth week in this series. And then we'll wrap it all up by coming back and looking at the armor of God and how we actually deploy those tools. It's going to be good. For the next few weeks, some of us are going to get freedom that we've never had because we're going to wake up to the reality that we've been in a war. We've been in a war. A war has already been declared against you. It's already happened. Whether you want it to be there or not, war has already been declared. If you're a parent in here today, war has been declared against your kids. It doesn't take much to look at that today. That your kid's identity is under assault. They want to take away their family and their faith. There's an assault coming against your career. My job? Yeah, your job. You want to know why? Because as a believer, it's not just my job. It's my calling. If God called me to that, God's going to do something through me in it. And what does the enemy want to do? Wants to steal that, take God's purposes out of it. Your marriage, there's a war that's been declared against your marriage to get you bitter and upset and distant. It's a war that's been declared against your finances. For some of us, the worst thing that could happen is for a season, we think we're doing good disobeying God. Because what's gonna happen eventually you can come under the weight. If The problem's bigger than you. The solution has to be bigger than you. See, Jesus has already won the war. But you're gonna have to fight back. You're gonna have to. So if you're in here today and you're living for God... You love Jesus, you're following Jesus, you're reading your Bible, you're doing your best to listen to the Holy Spirit, be directed by the Holy Spirit. Here's the news war has been declared against you. But if you're running from God, here's the news for you war's been declared against you too. Listen, the devil doesn't need allies idea that somebody's on his side? No, the war has been declared against everybody. And Jesus won the war for those who choose to follow him. If you're doing life your own way, the solution that you have to leverage is yourself, but the problem is bigger than you. So I'm hoping that you wake up like those soldiers who could have seen the signs on December the 6th, who could have been prepared when the planes flew. If you could see it today, would you live different? Would you fight back if you'd wake up and see that war's been declared against your kids, against your career, against your marriage, against your heart, against your peace, against your joy? Would you live different? I hope you would. I hope you wake up and fight back. The next few weeks are gonna invite you to do that. And I believe for some of us, there's freedom, In areas that we have never experienced freedom over the next few weeks. If we will just wake up and fight back. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.